This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer. Coming up, Toronto is recovering from a traumatic event this week after the driver of a rented van mowed down pedestrians, leaving 10 dead and more injured. Today, we look at grief and learn some coping strategies. And CARP wants to make pension protection an election issue both provincially and federally. The advocacy group is rolling out a campaign soon with the full support of members. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Germans are standing up against hate. This week, thousands marched through the streets of Berlin to show support to the Jewish community in response to the recent attack on a 19-year-old wearing a kippah. Initial reports indicated that the victim was Jewish, but he's actually an Israeli Arab who wanted to understand what daily life was like for his Jewish friends. He survived the attack, the latest of a wave of anti-Semitism across Europe, where it's becoming increasingly dangerous for Jews to display their faith publicly in Germany. The University of Alberta is in hot water over its decision to award David Suzuki with an honorary degree. The tribute comes amid the national debate over the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. The well-known author and outspoken environmentalist telling a Calgary audience just two months ago that the tar sands must be shut down. The university has been flooded with complaints and some alumni are considering pulling donations to the school. It's also angered the province's energy industry, with many saying this degree is an endorsement of Suzuki's views. The university's president said the school won't back down despite the backlash. A disabled Canadian senior says she felt like dirt when she was kicked out of England after living there for 44 years. Margaret O'Brien's benefits were cut off because the government decided she was an illegal immigrant. The 69-year-old moved to the U.K. in 1971, got married, had three children, worked for many years before a back injury forced her to quit and collect disability. Recently, she received a letter in the mail telling her to leave the U.K. immediately or be kicked out. She's contacted a lawyer, but because she's a disabled pensioner, Margaret cannot afford the fee. Despite showing documents proving she was in the country before the 1973 Immigration Act, a government official dismissed her claim. As the song goes, Thank you for being a friend. New research has found that the brains of close friends are remarkably similar. Researchers claim that based on responses to videos on a variety of topics, they could predict the strength of two people's bond based on their brain scans. The new study is part of a wave of interest in the nature and evolution of friendship and how it impacts health. The research takes on even more meaning as social isolation increases with aging populations. The study was done at Columbia University and published in Science Times Newsletter. 
Junction, Junction, what's your function? That's from the iconic educational TV series Schoolhouse Rock from the 1970s and 80s. The show's musical director died this week at his home in Pennsylvania. Bob Duro was 94. You'll likely remember the words to some of his best-known songs like Conjunction Junction. Duro was also a composer and musician who wrote songs for many, including jazz great Miles Davis. I'm Bob Kopsik in for Libby's Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Toronto is grieving and trying to recover from last week's devastating van attack that left 10 dead and more injured. Disturbing video was replayed on social media, and the incident was covered extensively by media around the world. How we process grief and post-traumatic stress is different for everyone. Dr. Anna Baranowski is an expert in traumatic stress at a Toronto clinic that's not far from the attack. As I was sitting, working with my clients, and we can all hear the sirens blaring and the fact that there is something going on out there, it was very, very clear. Uh, My staff were pretty shaken up, too. You know, this is pretty typically a quiet strip of Young Street, and, you know, I'm really saddened by what happened. This is a pretty terrible act of destruction. And there could be some people listening who may have known some of these people, and they're trying to deal with what's happened recently. What is the biggest difference between how a Zoomer and maybe their adult child might process trauma and grief? Well, trauma is a biopsychosocial event. It impacts your nervous system, and actually, I don't think it matters whether you are 65 or 85 or 25. More of what matters is what is the impact on you personally? What happens with your nervous system? What kind of impact does it have on your emotional well-being? Is it keeping you up at night? You know, this is a really personal event, and it can shake people up, their sense of safety. It ignites their nervous system. And really what it does is it turns on our fight-or-flight response. So that's actually a good thing because it's what allows us to get out of harm's way and react really quickly. There, I can't tell you how many people I have heard of so far who say, somebody pulled me out of the way just seconds before. Now, that's our fight-or-flight response. That moment in time is our nervous system functioning correctly. What happens to some people is that alarm system doesn't turn off very well after an event, and we have to work really hard to learn strategies to either lower the volume of that or turn it back off again. And for a lot of people, they have to work really hard every single day to keep it at a level that um, allows them to function. What are some of those strategies? I really love uh, deep breathing exercises because it sends a pretty quick message to the nervous system that in this moment, we are safe. You know, also, the language that we use with ourselves and putting ourselves in environments where we can literally turn down the volume of stress, uh, surround ourselves with people who we feel have a calming effect on us. And really, for a lot of people, I, I really do believe that people who recover the best from, you know, exposure to trauma do things on a very regular basis to make sense of what happened, be part of the community, focus on the things that matter, do exercises that lower stress deep breathing and yoga, walking. A lot of walking is really helpful because what happens is we get flooded with all sorts of hormones, stress hormones, that actually keep the level of stress high. And again, that's 
from an evolutionary perspective, that's exactly what you want to happen because that's what keeps you uh, alert and helps you get out of danger. But boy, you really want to be able to turn it off once the danger has passed. The sense that here we are in Toronto, you believe that, you know, Toronto is a good and a safe city pretty much, um, and all of a sudden something like this happens, you could be grieving your sense of safety. Or are you grieving somebody who you actually know who's been injured or hurt? I mean, these are two different kinds of things, right? And certainly anything that lowers our sense of stress is important. But sometimes, you know, we really need to find ways to come to terms with what we've lost personally, whether it's a sense of safety or it's somebody that we know or maybe it's somebody we know really well. And so that could take some time. Because the grieving process is not necessarily uh, a one-step deal, and it may, it may require that the individual actually take months and months to get through a major loss. And I think there's a really important part about kindness to ourselves and those around us, where we recognize this was not some little event, but a massive event with a ripple of repercussions emotionally, mentally, spiritually, even just in our sense of safety walking down a street. You know, some people can feel that they've lost that. So, you know, grief and what you've lost can be different for each person. Are we now, as a society, more desensitized to trauma due to, hate to bring it up, social media? I think we do see a lot of things, and and I think in some ways... Because we are hearing a lot more, we are also understanding that if something has happened to you, it could actually be put more in the context of you're having a normal response to something really terrible. So that's the whole perspective of lowering stigma, and I think that piece of it is good because we're talking about these things. I mean, trauma is the great human equalizer. There's never been a time where people have not experienced trauma and major trauma. Are they desensitized? You mean, like, are we not feeling anything anymore? Certainly, people talk a lot about being burnt out and being overwhelmed by the enormity of things that, are, uh, that, that we're being exposed to. And there have been a terrible number of acts um, over the number of years just, just recently. And I do think that people can feel really overwhelmed by that and want to shut it down. But sometimes that's just not possible, even if we want to shut it down. Dr. Anna Baranowski... Thanks for your insight and your time. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Toronto traumatic stress expert, Dr. Anna Bernoski. I'm Bob Kopsik in for Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, CARP wants to make pension protection a top priority with both provincial and federal governments. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. This country's largest advocacy group for older Canadians is rolling out a campaign in the coming weeks, urging government to better protect pensioners. Last year's Sears closing put the issue in the spotlight, but it wasn't the first time pensioners got bumped to the back of the money line when companies close. A new survey by CARP shows an overwhelming majority of its members say this issue is top priority. 
I spoke with Marissa Semkew, CARP's Director of Policy and Government Relations. The findings are very consistent with what we've seen in the past, which is that our members overwhelmingly feel like there need to be greater protections, both at a provincial level and federal level, to protect pensioners. The impetus for CARP's Put Pensioners First campaign was, of course, Sears, but this issue goes back years and years with Nortel. Now we're dealing with companies like Wabash Mines and Indelex is one another one that comes to mind. So there are a number of companies that have found themselves in distress and pensioners have always been at the back of the line when a company will declare bankruptcy or enters into insolvency. And so that's what CARP's whole campaign is on. What are the members saying in relation to the questions you pose to them? And I know it really depends if you're talking about the province or the federal government because they they both have separate responsibilities. Well, right off the top, I can say that 95% of our members either agreed or strongly agreed that the government, both provincial and federal, need to take steps to protect pensions. CARP's campaign is twofold, as you mentioned. Our federal ask is for super priority. When we asked our members whether or not they supported super priority for pensioners, 95% of respondents agreed or strongly agreed. Now, that would be something that would take place at a federal level. It would mean the feds would have to get involved in amending our bankruptcy and insolvency laws to ensure that pensioners are placed ahead of secured creditors when assets are distributed at the end of the day. Any indication from the feds in the budget and maybe post-budget that would indicate that you're being heard, that pensioners are being heard, or lip service being paid to? We were cautiously optimistic. There was an announcement in the 2018 federal budget that said that the government will engage in consultations with pensioners and stakeholders over the coming months to determine where they move forward on pension protection. So far, we've heard nothing yet. And it's been well over 75 days since the budget. So we're waiting. We're calling on politicians to finally call on us to engage because we want to be part of that consultation process. Is CARP and other stakeholders getting together to put pressure on the feds to start talking and consulting now? We will be. We're rolling out a series of campaigns over the coming months to get our members involved at a grassroots level, to call on their MPs, email their MPs, physically pick up the phone and call their MP, calling on them to take a stand on this issue. We know that there is a pension caucus that meets regularly to talk about this issue. But again, the government has been uh, quite silent on it since the announcement in the budget. So we have a strategy moving forward where we'll be engaging with MPs. We want our members to engage with MPs. uh, And over the coming months, that will be rolled out. Provincially, there is something called a pension benefit guarantee fund. This is an insurance fund that kicks in when a company goes bankrupt. And what it does is it provides some sort of relief for pensioners up to a maximum of previously, before the Ontario budget, $1,000. Now, what the Ontario budget did was it extended that by 50%. So now a pensioner is guaranteed up to $1,500 of their pension monthly. What CARP has been calling for is that the pension benefit guarantee fund be indexed to the year's maximum pensionable earnings as defined under CPP. That would mean that it would guarantee approximately $55,000 a year. We've been calling on the province to do that. What the feds committed to was only $18,000 a year. We believe this is completely insufficient to cover the full loss of what a pensioner deserves 
Is CARP doing anything now to put pressure as this election, the provincial one, nears? Sure, absolutely. We are rolling out a series of surveys, for example, and the one that we're talking about right now um, was sent to our members last week. So these results are fresh. Um, And so we'll be disseminating this information to all MPPs and to our provincial leaders to let them know where CARP stands on this issue. Um, And again, we have a campaign which we'll be rolling out over the next few weeks ahead of this election, which really calls on the province to take a better stand, but not just the province, the opposing parties. We're calling on the NDP. We're calling on the Conservatives to take a stand on this issue and to campaign on this issue because it's something that matters to our members and overwhelmingly to retirees in this province. Provincially, the Conservatives, the PCs have been less forthcoming with respect to uh, their particular policy on this issue, but they have recognized it in some of their language as an issue and have said that they would support business. Again, there's really not been much in the way of substance around that yet, and I anticipate it to come out over the coming weeks. The NDP have committed to expanding the PBGF to $3,000 a month, and that is something that we're, that we're quite supportive of. What about federally then? Federally, the NDP are completely on board with super priority for pensioners. In fact, we've been working closely with Scott Duval, an MP for the NDP party. He's been really heading the campaign on that front. Um, The Conservatives, we've met with a number of MPs. They are interested in the subject. They recognize it's an issue. We have had... um, not public, but private support declared from some MPs in the party. So we believe that this will be an election issue, and we think that the Conservatives will take it seriously as part of their platform. Marissa Semkew, thank you. Thank you. That was Marissa Semkew, CARP's Director of Policy and Government Relations. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, A country music legend will likely be lighting up more than candles on his birthday cake this weekend. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick in for Libby's Nimer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The most expensive play ever staged on Broadway is showing to sold-out audiences at the Lyric Theater. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child cost $68 million to put on. A new exhibit at the British Museum focuses on Auguste Rodin and how ancient Greek sculpture inspired him to set a radical new direction for modern art. The screen history of Lewis Carroll's timeless classics is on view at the Australia Centre for the Moving Image in Melbourne, Wonderland is interactive and on until October. And in Vienna, the Kunsthaus is presenting Fashion Drive, Extreme Clothing in the Visual Arts, featuring everything from haute couture to cod pieces. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. In music circles, he's a true living legend. Country music icon Willie Nelson turns 85 today. After graduating high school in 1950, Willie joined the Air Force but was later discharged due to back problems. He went on to work as a DJ at Texas radio stations while moonlighting as a singer in local honky-tonks. By 1960, he was firmly established as a singer-songwriter with hits like Funny How Time Slips Away and Crazy. 
With a career spanning over 60 years, the singer earned himself the reputation as one of the most popular country music artists of all time. He's also well known for his love of marijuana and his advocacy for legalization. Right now, here's Willie Nelson with one of his biggest hits, On the Road Again. One, two, one, two, three, four... That was Willie Nelson with On the Road Again. The country music icon turns 85 today. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsican for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.